Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. No gas this week, so in the words of Tylan Wallace, fine, I'll do it myself. Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast. My name's Shane Richmond, and I'm joined by some friends I met on the internet. Ian Domain, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And James Ogden, I don't think we've been on the podcast together in like, I don't know, two months or something. How are you? I'm glad to see that you're still here. I'm good, thank you. Uh, so, um, Ian, you were at the London meetup for this game. James, where were you? What you were watching this at home? I was watching this at home, yeah, interrupted by a sleeping uh, baby, not or non-sleeping baby, a couple of times. So I had to watch this one back a little bit. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they don't. They don't sort of respect the the you know crying when there's a timeout or a commercial break or whatever. They just just you know demand attention whenever 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 there's uh, something happening that you want to be watching. Um, so, Tylen Wallace dramatic punt return to win this in overtime ravens win 37 31 in what was a tense game what was the atmosphere like at belushi's in london ian how did it go uh it, it was good it was good good fun it was a good game to watch wasn't it it's a good game to all, all get together um i i've said a thousand times i'm a terrible watcher so i'm glad that i was with others to watch this game because i think had i been on my own at home it would it would have been a lot worse. I would have felt a lot worse about this game. At no point did I really think, ah, oh, you know, throwing things around. I just thought it was such a good game of football, um, start start to finish. And maybe that was the beer, maybe that was the company. But um, yeah, it was it was a good time had by all, I think. And tons of lead changes, nine lead changes all in all. James, in between settling your daughter down, how tense was this one for you watching at home? Yeah, it was a little bit tense, wasn't it? Um, I think I, you sort of expected it in this game. It was, uh, you know, the Rams are are uh, like a, a very much improving team and have played really well over recent weeks. And uh, I kind of did think this was going to be a close one um, with the way the Rams have been playing. So it was, I was braced for it. But you know, it's not, it's not as nice as those uh, as those early season blowouts. So in our predictions last week, I think we all predicted high scores. For the Ravens, what we didn't predict was a high score against the Ravens. Um, we'll get to the defense in a minute, but let's start with the offensive side of the ball first. Um, I think, James, we've finally put to bed this whole Lamar doesn't play in the rain business, haven't we? <laughs> we certainly have. And I mean, uh, I'm sure we'll see it come back again at certain points um, when people uh, want to take a pot shot at him again. But uh, and also, this was yet another example of a, of a Lamar game where, you know, when the pressure was on, he was able to um, throw the ball extremely effectively. There were a couple of throws in this game that were ridiculous that I think only he really makes, or him and a couple of other guys in the league make. So, um, you know, it showed what this Ravens team can do. And I, you don't want to get too carried away because it's not a, an outstanding defense, but it's a pretty good defense. And it was in a shoot out and it just it was what i felt was against a good team um it just it seemed like it was a nice tune-up for uh potential matchups in january where they need this passing offense to to show us what they have um and it was great to see odell continue to take 
um, the steps that we want him to take and, and be a real weapon in the passing game as well. So all in all, 24 of 43 for 316 yards and three touchdowns for Lamar. He added another 70 yards uh, rushing himself. Most of those were scrambles, I think, rather than uh, designed runs. Um, and Ian, the deep passing game seems like it's finally starting to click. There are a lot of weeks where people saying everything's going fine apart from the deep ball. They clearly decided they wanted to take deep shots against this defense. Yeah, it, it was odd, wasn't it? Because we all saw the weather um, and, and we were all sort of, I, I think I said to Rory at the meetup, this has got sort of 9-6 all over it, everyone running the ball all day. And it, it, they, both teams just threw that out the window. I mean, the Rams tried it for, on the first drive successfully, but the, the Ravens never really tried running the ball. They just decided bomb, bombs away, we're, we're going to throw it. Um, the, the, the deep shots were working. They, they took more of them, so more deep shots, more success on, on it. Um, o- Odell helped Lamar out on a couple of them. It, well, I say Odell helped him out. Apparently he, he ran the wrong route, so he was in completely the wrong place, but he, but he still managed to catch the ball. His his ball tracking skills are, are off the chart. Um, there were still a couple of misfires, the the underthrown ball to Bateman. Why Bateman stopped on the route anyway, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, so so the, there is still work to do there, but, but in in those conditions, uh, it's it's definitely promising, and I think everyone's seen by now the stat that I think the Ravens had three of the top six longest plays of of the week this this week. Um, so I mean, if they get the if they get the deep passing game going, then then look out. Yeah, and the pick came uh, on a deep pass as well, where Lamar seemed I don't know whether he didn't see that he was throwing into double coverage or whether he just felt like he could make the throw anyway. But that came when he was. So maybe forcing the ball deep, take take the deep shot almost regardless was kind of the strategy. Yeah, it was definitely the. I mean, it's the weakness of this Rams of this Rams offense, um, and so I think they they were right to to push the ball downfield and and to really sort of focus on the passing game. Um, it was always going to be where they would have a lot of joy against this Rams defense. I think with with the interception, I, I, I need to watch back the all twenty two, which I. Haven't managed to do in its entirety yet, but I think they've they sort of I think feel a bit of a commitment to he tried to push the ball down the field to Bateman a few times in this game, um, and I think that was the case on the interception as well. Um, and I think it's a, a just a theme at the moment that Bateman, uh, in lots of metrics around separation, is is ranking some, one of the highest in the league um, in terms of um, yeah his targets. So he's he's a guy who appears to be getting open quite a lot downfield. And so I think there's a, there was a sort of, I think there was sort of a, uh, uh, something went on in this game where they just sort of thought, thought they should be targeting him deep. Uh, and I think this was one of those occasions. It, it, it happened. I'm pretty sure it happened a few times uh, where they targeted him deep, where it, it felt like it wasn't quite there, um, but they're trying to give him an opportunity to make a play. And, and I kind of understand that. Apparently, um, Bill Parcells told Phil Sims before one of the games in his first ever season as the Giants QB, if you don't throw at least two interceptions in this game, you're not taking enough risks. So I think there's an element of sort of when you decide you're pushing the ball down the field, sometimes you have to just kind of go, I think I'm going to make this throw and see what happens. Um, today's NFL has changed a little bit from uh, the early 80s, but you know, you still have to risk it. Um, and the offensive line, I said in the, my prediction last week, I felt like 
poor game for the offensive line last week, so they would have a good game this week. This is the, the new strategy I'm following, that they're alternating good games and bad games. This one seemed like it was a good game. There were points when Lamar could just sort of sit back there for like 20 minutes, it seemed, James. Yeah, they had a really good game plan for this for this game, especially um, the Rams tried a lot to get Aaron Donald free on, on stunts and things. They dealt with them really well. Um, they had a really good plan for Donald basically through the game. They gave him very little opportunity to pin his ears back going against one-on-one um, with uh, a play that wasn't designed to be timed as a quick hitter. You know, they very quick. They very. There were very few occasions where he was able to go against Lamar where the ball wasn't coming out quick. When he did, he was either going up against Zeitler one-on-one, and Zeitler did a pretty good job um, one-on-one on Donald through the game. He got beat a couple of times, but you can expect that against Aaron Donald. And then Lamar just showed um, his value um, in the pocket and, and you know, really made it difficult for Aaron Donald to get home. So they did just a really good job of dealing with a front that is good. Like, it is a good. It is a good front outside of Donald. It's not. You, know, you don't just worry about Donald. But on the whole, it's, you know, guys like Hecht and, and Young are just are, are not quite the, the standard that you would want. So you're, you're, you're keeping it, you are focusing most of your attention on Donald. They had a really good game plan coming in as, the, as an offensive line um, and how they dealt with it as a unit was really good. Um, and I was quite, quite impressed with it, really with the, with the job they did for Lamar in this game. It, it was in, interesting the O line this this week um, that their plan that James said I, I mentioned it last week and I never get anything right at all. But I said I thought this would be a bounce back, a good game for the, for the O line because I thought it was our strength going up against sorry their strength going against the strength of our O line. Ronnie Ronnie's struggled recently, but I, their pressure doesn't come from the edge. Ronnie's going to have a big job to do this week. Their pressure comes through the middle, and I thought Linda Baum and Zeitler would would be okay with that, and it, it, it turned out that way. Um, what was interesting to see was how we rotated the tackles. So Stanley took a, took snaps off in this game and Makari came in. Morgan Moses took snaps off, uh, in this game as well. Neither of them played sort of over 80% of the snaps, I think, maybe not even 70%. Um, so uh, interesting to see whether that's something they do going forward or whether that was just, just for this one-off game. Yeah. And we mentioned that sort of, uncertainty about whether Stan, how much Stanley would recover from obviously struggling from injuries during the bye. And clearly they've gone for that sort of cautious work him back in. And and so, you know, maybe he'll go up to all the snaps or maybe they'll carry on with a bit of um, rotation against the Jags if they, if they feel they need to. Um, there were some odd little mistakes here and there, Ian. The, um, the offense gave up a, a a safety and then there was some clock management and challenge issues that were a little bit weird as well. Yeah, we, we don't often see too too many bad snaps from from Linda Barman. I don't think this was a bad snap. I just don't think Lamar was was expecting the ball. He wasn't ready for it. It was just snapped earlier than than he thought. Um good good on Lamar. He's got a good left boot on him and, and just kicked that thing through through the back of the end zone. Um rather than try and pick it up and do some hero nonsense. He he, he did the safe the safe thing. Um, as you say, some, some weird clock management again. And, and then there was the, the John Harbour challenge on the, on, on the touchdown. Um, John, John's come out and said it's, it, it was a way of him calling an extra timeout. Um, I'm not sure an awful lot of people are buying that. I might be a massive, well, in fact, I am a massive homer. 
I kind of buy that from Harbour for, for a couple of reasons. One, he's an NFL coach. He knows the rules. I knew that you couldn't challenge that. I'm not an NFL coach and I knew you couldn't challenge that. So I'm sure John does. Two, he's not a thrower of the challenge flag. He, he doesn't like throwing it. And when he does, he drops the thing on the floor. He doesn't launch it 40 yards down the field. So he was making a real show of it. And he only threw it when Stafford and everyone else was staying out there. I think had the, the kicker jogged out onto the, the field to kick the extra point, I, I don't think he would have thrown it. So I, I am buying this, but I might be on my own. I might be making lots of excuses for him. Are you convinced, James? I'm, I'm sort of, I'm in the sort of, I'm not sure that I do buy it camp, but uh, what do you reckon? No, I'm not sure I buy it either. I, I, I think um, it was the thing that makes me not buy it is, is, is his face um, when it goes, which unless he's doing a really good acting job, it felt like he was, he was genuinely wanted to challenge on something. I don't know what. That, that's it. I just thought. don't understand what he's challenging on. No. It wasn't like <laughs> yeah. he was close to the back of the end zone, or, you know, he, it, it, there was nothing to challenge. I think he was challenging the fact that Demarcus Robinson had scored in M and T Bank Stadium. <laughs> like that doesn't. We had him here for a whole year. That doesn't happen. I'm challenging that. Something clearly went wrong, uh, and they think, said, "No, you. I'm sorry, you can't challenge that, Coach. That's not. That's not a thing." Possibly the the only thing that would make me uh, agree with Ian's argument is the the uh, the distance he got on the flag was uh, was pretty impressive uh, it was maybe like a um yeah he couldn't get to a referee in time to call the time out so he thought i know i'll pull out my challenge flag and juck it 40 yards yeah. and that uh, the clock management at the end of the first half i mean Lamar had a really good drive going. There was a two-minute offense that was just rolling. They got to field goal range. They had about 50 seconds to go, two timeouts, I think. And then suddenly it was 13 seconds left, and they were kicking the field goal. Like 40 seconds just disappeared in a couple of weird play calls. They called a screen, and Todd Munkin still by now hasn't figured out that the Ravens generally can't run screens. And then they ended up throwing the ball short of the sticks. What did you make of that? Was that just, I mean, was that a complete meltdown from somewhere on the sidelines? Was it just one of those unavoidable things? I mean, Ian, you might not have been as focused on it in the pub as I was seeing watching it at home. Well, I'm I'm glad you've just told me about it because I, I missed that completely. I think I, I must have been deep in a trough full of buffalo wings that I was sharing <laughs> with Rory and Chris at this point. Um, I mean, two minutes hasn't been the, the Ravens' strength, has it, really? Uh, they, they sort of need to make a decision. Do we just leave it, leave it to Lamar and let him get on with it, which I think is probably the right, the right way going forward. Um, but it's, yeah, they, they have struggled in those situations. Well, I did wonder about that because it, it seems as though there's some suggestion that when Lamar changes the play, he often changes to a screen, um, which might be a read based on how the defense is lined up. If he knows he's calling a screen, he's looking at it and going, they haven't got enough guys on that side of the field to block it or whatever. Um, my worry is that like teams that are really good at running screens, even if the defense has an idea that it's coming and they're fast enough to get there, they can do the blocking really well. They have a guy who can, who can make people miss and they'll get four or five yards, even if you know it's coming. The Ravens can only run a screen successfully if it catches the defense by surprise. If the defense knows it's coming. It's getting stuffed. 
And that was exactly what happened to, to the Rams, uh, against the Rams. And then, as I say, they threw the other one short and then called the timeout. So they kicked the field goal with time still left on the clock when they could have run it all the way down to two seconds or whatever and kicked it as the last play of the half. It was as if like just somebody like Harbour had wandered off somewhere and like one of the interns was just going, I, I don't know what this thing is. Just, yeah, do what you think. It's fine. It was complete mismanagement. But uh, James, did you, are you with me on this one or were you also eating buffalo wings? <laughs> I think this one, I gen- genuinely missed this one. <laughs> I missed this. Um, it's just me. Just me. Yeah. <laughs> well, it really got on my nerves. So, uh, so there was that. And <laughs> anybody, anyone who was following on Twitter would have, would have figured out the same as well. That, uh, I was kind of bemused by what was going on. Um, the defensive side of the ball, I mean, that half was kind of rough for Mike McDonald's defense, James. It's possible that the Rams exposed a few weaknesses um, in his game plan. And considering we've got a couple of other coaches from the Shanahan tree coming up, that's something to to focus on, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be really interesting against the 49ers because that's the, the team that um, sort of worries me the most in terms of the similarities between the two. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan also from the Shanahan offense, but more the personnel on the 49ers. Um, like I, I, I'm not sure that the Dolphins will be able to do what this Rams team did to the Ravens in terms of uh, Mike McDaniel coming in from the Shanahan tree. But it's because of the personnel. And the, the reason why was because the, they were able to run the ball really effectively out of their condensed formations. And Nakua, um, as great as he's been as a receiver, um, has also been a revelation for them as a blocker. Um, and he is able to form a tandem with Cup in um, condensed formations, which for anyone who doesn't know is when the, the wide receivers come in very close to the offensive line um, and they have uh, some decent blocking tight ends as well. And so running out of those condensed formations was a bit of a problem for the Ravens because the way the Ravens are excellent at defending the run is that they have guys like Hamilton and, and Smith and Queen who will run free at that second level and, get, and, and um, make plays on the ball carrier. But what was happening was Nakua and Cup and some of those tight ends were able to get blocks on some of those guys. They were getting a hat on a hat at the second level and it was opening lanes for Karen Williams, who's a very good running back. And uh, the other thing that was happening was that the offensive line run a particular scheme, a zone blocking scheme, and they were getting in that zone blocking scheme works really well if you're able to get vertical movement from your offensive linemen. If the offensive linemen are able to get up into the second level, get onto linebackers, and they were starting to get some really good vertical movement in that first in that first half. Dotson is a, an underrated interior offensive lineman. I really liked Steve Avila coming out of TCU. I think he's improving each week. Uh, and they were doing a really good job at getting to the second level and really causing the Ravens some issues in the running uh, defending the, the running game in the in that first half. And then they were able to use play action off that, and it was pretty effective. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens when the 49ers come to town. There aren't many teams in the AFC that can do that, um, that, that can do that, play that style of game. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, as I said, when the 49ers come in, because they have the ability to do that as well with Debo and Ayuk. But it was, it was, what was really encouraging was that I do think you know, McVeigh had a, has great play design. He had a really good play calling game plan for this game. But Mike McDonald won his fair share of battles in this game and they, they struggled in the first half, but he came back in the second half. But even in the first half, there were times when he called up just perfect play calls uh, for some of the stuff the Rams were doing. The in, the um, 
sack on third down early in the game comes because um, McDonald's, McDonald calls a simulated pressure where Roquan Smith mugs the A-gap and then quickly drops into a, a hook curl zone that takes away a double slant on the left side from Nakua and um, and Cup, and it meant that Stafford had to go somewhere else with the ball, and he struggled, and the timing was off, and Madabike stole away sack and got home. Um, so there's there were some really encouraging signs for Mike McDonald going up against some really tough play callers. He's got a he's got a bit of a gauntlet coming up in terms of the play callers he's going to have to face. So uh, that was really good. It did show a bit of a blueprint, but I think you've got to have that type of personnel where you can where you can run those kind of formations and where you can run that uh, that zone scheme really effectively uh, to maybe cause the Ravens some problems. But it, it's yeah, it's a it, it's a specific style of play, and, it's, and you need specific personnel to do it. So it'll be hard to replicate. And the Rams also stay in that same personnel grouping, sort of play after play after play. They're in 11 personnel 94% of the time, which is the most of any team in the league, and only the Panthers are over 80% of the time. Um, And that complicates it for the defense, doesn't it? Because you don't get those cues of, well, you know, if they've shifted to this personnel, we know what they're trying to get us to do as a defense. You can't really make those kinds of reads. No, and they're and they're the it's the sort of they're the the Raven version of an offense. Like the Raven defense is there is the same as them. Like the Raven the Ravens defense rarely changes personnel now. Um, outside of the defensive line, obviously on the defensive line they're going to rotate a lot. But uh, on the back end, it doesn't. And, and the linebacker court that doesn't really change. The snap counts are pr- pretty consistent, and it's because they know they can play Hamilton and have him go one on one with tight ends, and then. Um, come down and play the run. They know he can defend against wide. He can he can uh, cover wide receivers too. So there's a there's a real similarity in the way that they play because that's the same that the Rams have with Nakua and and Cop. They almost sometimes play as, as as sort of mini tight ends in their game in their in their running game. So they sort of matched the Ravens in terms of the way the Ravens play. And obviously there were periods in this game where Hamilton was out and hobbled as well. Which is a which is a difficulty for the Ravens, and I think what happened was the the Rams. The other thing that happened was the Rams attacked so successfully up the middle of this defense, which is the strength of the defense. But if you can hit it in the mouth, you can then also have some success on the outside, which is what they did. The Ravens had to sort of compensate a little bit for the fact that the the Rams were hurting them up the middle, and so they had Stevens and Humphrey on an island a little bit. And ironically, in this game, it was Stevens who who held up most of the time and, and Marlon who struggled at times sometimes throughout the game. But I think it definitely was something that the Ravens are going to have to look at moving forward. They're like this is a game, this is a sort of blueprint game and it'll be really interesting to see how they handle the 49ers because it's a similar type of offense. So it'll be it, like, it's sort of two dress rehearsals for a potential Super Bowl against potentially one of, well, certainly potentially against the 49ers. Uh, and this was a good tune-up game for that 49ers game to sort of, get them to hone some strategies. Uh, but I, I do think they responded well at times and, and obviously they had a lot of points hung on them. But I think it, it wasn't uh, a complete doom and gloom game for me from the defence. There were some encouraging signs. And most of those points came in the first half, Ian. There were some, there were obviously a, a pickup in the way the defence was playing in the second half and they, they looked like they had more of an idea um, of how to go about stopping the Rams. 
Yeah, it's, it's certainly encouragement, uh, encouraging all the, the uh, adjustments that, that they, they made. And Mike McDonald was making adjustments all, all through this game. Um, I think it's, it's worth pointing out that Stafford was very, very good in this game. Stafford, Stafford played very well and has some very good weapons. Uh, the, the diving catch, uh, Puka made on, on the sideline was, was something else. Um, Cooper Cup looks like he's, he's getting back healthy. Uh, I, th- I thought, thought the Rams were, were really good in this game. Um, the, the Ravens defense, I'm not that worried about. Um, I, I think they'll be okay. Mike McDonald impresses me with, with his adjustments. The, the Rams were running all over him on that first drive. They, they shut that down. Um, they lost Kyle Hamilton in the game. They had to, to work around that. It's, it's not a, I said last week that, that Kyle Hamilton's an all pro. I, I stick by that. The, the difference in, in yards per play with Hamilton on, on the field and without is about three yards per play. That's massive in the NFL. That's absolutely huge. Marlon had a rough game, but he's had rough games before coming back that first week from injury. If, if we're worried about Martin, Marlon's the least of our worries. He's, he's going to be fine going forward. Um, I'd like to see him catch the ball a little bit better, if, even if he can't run. Um, save my poor heart, but yeah, as you say, this defense gave up points, but but they also made they made plays, and the Rams were very very good. Yeah, and they they were good in the last three games that they played. Um, they've they've been getting better, and and Ian makes a great point about Stafford, and and that's the other place to sort of look for this being a blueprint for future future games against really good, like really competent quarterbacks. This was, this was a game where you saw him attack um, some of the, some of the zone coverage from the Ravens um, really effectively just with timing, but he's got great, as you mentioned, Ian, he's got great receivers and some of the juggernauts in the air, potential juggernauts in the AFC don't necessarily have the same cast of um, receiving talent around them. So it was, it was an interesting one because he did, he did manage to pepper some of those, those, um, some of those, some of the middle of the field zones, but he, it'll. I don't know whether that can be repeated with with the same kind of success um, outside of like a, a lot of things went well for them to be able to do that. They were able to run the ball so effectively up the middle, so they could rely on play action. They had those condensed formations where you had to account for Nakua and Cuffers blockers. It just felt like the recipe worked really well for the Rams against the Ravens in this game and. And having Stafford orchestrate and that was was um, was was uh, you know a positive for them. So let's just wrap up by briefly talking about overtime. Um, the Ravens won the toss, uh, got the ball, and then promptly went three and out. Anyone concerned whether that sort of says anything about their ability to step up in a big moment? They looked. I mean, they ended the game really, really strong. They looked. You thought, okay, they're going to just put this one away, but. No, that didn't happen. Anybody worried by that, or is that just you know one of those things? Yeah, I I was again. I was a few beers deep, so I mean, I wasn't thrilled with it, but but I I still wasn't jumping up and down as you say. Lamar on that final drive and and, and the two points we we should mention um, was was something else. This that's something people have said Lamar can't do. That the whole drive down down to score um, the the final play. The O line holding up, Aguilar taking his receipt, his um, cornerback and the safety away. Zay catching a ball after he'd, he'd had a couple of drops in in the game as well it was huge. Um, the the two point conversion was it 
2020 when every time we went for two, we'd do that rollout to the right and they kept failing and everyone was, oh, why are we taking half the field away by rolling out to the right? I mean, this was, this was special from, from Lamar to, to actually make that, that two point work. Um, and I, I think after that, even though we punted that, that first possession in overtime, I think I just deep down, I was, I thought, yeah, we're, we're going to win this one. So no, I wasn't too concerned. And you're right at the end of uh, that final drive, especially because it got to a point where they had that weird review as to whether Lamar had been sacked or whether he'd thrown an incomplete pass. They ruled it a sack. And then I'm assuming they didn't have clear enough evidence to change it because it didn't really look like it was a sack, but it was quite hard to tell whether part of his leg had touched the ground before the ball left his hand or whatever. So then they suddenly said, nope, it's all fine. The clock's running. There you go. And the offense had to then get themselves together after standing around being confused for, for a couple of minutes. So um, Zay did a great job of, of catching the touchdown. Brilliant play on, on the two-point conversion. Then, as we say, three and out for um, the Ravens and, helpfully, three and out for the Rams right back. They punted. And Tylen Wallace, who was only in the game at that point because Devin DuVernay had gone out injured um, earlier in the game. And he had, as I'm sure everybody knows by now, he'd, he'd been called for a penalty earlier on. There was a, a, an earlier punt by the Rams where um, he was offside, but so were about six other people. They basically just picked Tylen Wallace to call the penalty on. Um, and then he, he got that punt return and it's been uh james i think it's our first punt return td since 2017 2018 i can't remember when it is but it's the first one in a while anyway so after a season where the the raven special teams has had a few gaffes here and there it's kind of nice to see them make a play yeah it was lovely to see them make a play uh albeit Potentially with the block in the back. No, John Harbour John said it definitely wasn't a block in the back. <laughs> um, you've definitely seen them called. Uh, I do think it was quite a flop, but uh, you've definitely seen them called. He sort of, yeah, remembered. I feel like he remembered halfway through the block in the back that he probably doesn't need to block him in the back and just leave him alone. So it, it, I think it was a, a yeah, soccer style dive. Um, but you definitely see them called. So it was a, a little bit of a concern, but obviously glad for, for Tyler Wallace, who, uh, you know, has, he's clearly a really well-liked guy in the locker room and um, just works his, works his backside off on special teams uh, week in, week out. So, uh, yeah, really pleased for him. And, um, yeah, it was a special punt return touchdown. And the, the Ravens' history, for, for those of us that have been fans for long enough, is... The Ravens' Super Bowl run history is littered with uh, with special punt returns uh, and kickoff returns. So uh, maybe this is another one in the. Hopefully, this is another one in the Ravens' Super Bowl run folklore. And potentially, um, we'll talk about Devin Duvernay and his injury a bit later. But it's something that could have ramifications for his future come the off season. But let's see how that all pans out. For now, we're going to talk about the Raven of the week. Um, I think this is this, I have a strong indication where this is going to go. But Ian, who's your Raven of the week? <laughs> I'm going to go with the popular vote. I think it probably should go to someone else. But I'm I'm, I'm going to go with Tylen Wallace for this one. Um, I just wanted to to when. Did Tyler was he injured around the London game? Because we went out to practice, didn't we, at, at Spurs? And the only bit of practice you you get to see is special teams. 
And I watched Justin Tucker punt for about half an hour. And the only people that caught, well, Justin Tucker wasn't letting anyone catch it. He just kept booming them 80 yards out of bounds. But the only people that were back there to catch them were, were Devin Duvernay was one. Zay Flowers was the second guy. And they had Keaton Mitchell as well. I can't remember seeing, was Tylan Wallace around for the London game? Or was he not there at all? Because it's, I'm not sure he's, he's done much returning before in, in his career, but Anyway, he's going to win Raven of the Week, and he's my nomination. Uh, no, you're right. He was. Um, this was his first punt return in an NFL game. Um, he'd apparently returned some, maybe in college, but I don't know. I don't know whether he traveled, whether he was in London or not. Was he on the practice squad or then? I'm not sure. Um, anyway, that's your nomination, James. Who's your nomination for Raven of the Week? I think I. Um... I suppose this is a bit, uh, there's a few candidates on offense that I'm sure you might take Shane as well. I'm sure some of you probably won't take them. We haven't talked about too much as Isaiah Likely, who we thought had a, had a good game. Um, but I, I'm going to have to go with Lamar. This was, I think this was a special game for Lamar. Um, and, you know, this is a game where uh, all of the stat heads, um, fantasy players are going to uh, count it as a very good game because he obviously went over 300 yards, multiple touchdowns, a lot of rushing yards too. So, uh, he sort of proved in this game. I think that drive at the end of the game really was special, especially those those um, th- those those back to back plays, the the one for the touchdown, and then the two point conversion when they really needed the two point conversion. You sort of saw the way the Rams were moving the ball. That that was that was very important, um, and so to come up in those clutch moments, uh, I feel like we've got to got to give him a, a shout for Raven of the Week. Um, yeah, and you're right. We didn't mention Isaiah Likely when we were going through the game. He scored the first touchdown for the Ravens as wide open as you will ever see anybody in the NFL because the Rams somehow forgot he was there. Um, uh, so he had a good game. I think I'm kind of tempted to, to pick Zeitler, but I'm going to go a little bit more predictable. Uh, and I'm going to go with OBJ, um, 97 yards and a touchdown. Um, including some really, really good catches. Uh, he managed to score a touchdown, even though he apparently ran the wrong pass route, still got back and uh, caught the ball and scored. So I'm going to pick OBJ. Those are your three Ravens of the week. We will uh, we'll consult Ben or, or Gaz or both and add to those uh, before the vote goes onto social media. Um, and let's uh, get onto some of the news then that's developed over the week. And just as I say that, uh, who should arrive? But Gaz himself. Do you want to? Do you want to pick your Raven of the Week, Gaz? Since you've just shown up, um, we've got. I'll tell you who's off the table before you go. Um, okay, so okay. Tylan Wallace, unaccountably, he got picked. That's shocking. Uh, for Raven of the Week. Um, Lamar has also been picked, oh. and OBJ. So those are your three contenders so far. Do you want to throw in a fourth? Do you want some time to think about it? I'll, Let's go Keaton Mitchell. Why not? Keaton Mitchell. Well, <laughs> why not? <laughs> he got his, was it his fifth fifth game with a 20-yard-plus play, I think? Or maybe his fourth? I can't remember how many games it is, but he got 54 yards on the ground. Um, half of those came on one play. Nine carries <laughs> for 54. That was the yeah, oddest was. thing to just get thrown straight in there. I didn't even think, like, <laughs> yeah. trying to think, who did we play? Was it the Chargers? No, no, it wasn't the Chargers. It was the Rams. Um, do you know what? So we'll I say was. hello now. How are you doing? <laughs> very well, very well. How are you? Good. Yes, good. Okay. Uh, we're all doing well, I think. I was going to mention Keaton Mitchell because I do think, um, I watched a couple of his runs back and I do think it was, um, 
we continue to see some development from Keaton Mitchell. Like it's not as splashy as as earlier in, in his in, in the season, but he did he did have a couple of runs where I sort of thought oh, actually earlier in the year you probably would have bounced the preseason. You would have seen him bounce that to the outside and lose three yards, and he didn't do that in this game. So I thought it was quite quite good. Actually. And there's signs, I think. I mean, this isn't really my uh, area of expertise, but there are signs that he's starting to get his head around the blocking. Like he's got a way to go, but he seems like he's sort of kind of figuring out where he should be. He's just got to kind of get into the right positions. I, I've seen I've seen a few people on on this this week, and there's there's a difference between being a willing blocker and being able. And he's he's very willing. He'll put himself in the right place, but he just got absolutely killed a couple of times. Um, it's no surprise if you go and look at the running back snaps in this game. The Ravens were throwing a lot. They were in two minute a lot. Justice Hill played a lot of snaps, hardly touched the ball, but because he's the best pass blocker, uh, that's why he's out. He's out there. And until, till Keaton figures that out, then that's that he's not going to be on the field for those, those downs. Yeah. I think he's, he's got to make some progress. I mean, it's basically, I mean, he's, you know, he's a small guy. He's got to figure out how to essentially turn himself into a bit of an obstacle rather than getting run over. But he seemed like, I mean, I thought there was an improvement from kind of where he was previously, but uh, we will see. Um, Okay, so let's go and talk about some of the news that has developed this week. So um, I kind of put these on the show show sheet the wrong way around. We should really talk about the injuries coming out of uh, this game. So we mentioned Kyle Hamilton went down with a knee injury. Um, he came back, then he went out again after um, seemingly hurting his knee for the second time. Uh, he is apparently day-to-day. Uh, initially, I had him down as week-to-week, but he's been upgraded to day-to-day. Uh, so soon he'll be hour-to-hour. Um, we'll find out whether he'll actually come in and play on Sunday. Uh, Devin Duvernay, um, unfortunately not as lucky. He's gone on to injured reserve. At this point... I don't think there's time for him to actually come back. Is there before the end of the season? I can't remember how many weeks you have to go on as a minimum. Um, so we may have, he maybe can come back if they make a deep playoff run, I think. That's, I think you've got to be on a five weeks, six yeah, weeks. The last thing you want as well when you go out as like a punt return specialist is for you to go out injured and the guy replacing you to just house one within sort of 30 yeah. minutes. It's not, it's, not the, it's not the most ideal situation to find yourself in, is it? No, and the thing is, he's kind of a well-paid guy for what he does um and he doesn't play when the ravens are punting which tylen wallace does tylen wallace plays on tylen wallace can return punts and he also plays as a gunner so when it comes to the roster next season i don't know james it's not looking good for devon i'd say no. uh, i think the, the only saving grace i suppose is that the you know the Odell contract is a one year contract. You, you know, there's a you know, yeah, the, there's a few sort of potentials where he might be able to stick around. But you're right, he's quite well paid for for what he does, and uh, I would imagine you probably see the Ravens move on at this point. He hasn't been in, as involved in the offense as he was last year, and that's understandable. But they, he carved out a niche early on last year, which was I think right for his skill set. Um, and they were using him really effectively early on last year, and they've just kind of gone away from that entirely. They're just not part of what they want to do this year. Um, so it would be interesting to see, given how Munkin has used him this year, them bring him back next year. I'd be surprised. And Kyle Hamilton, I mean, Ian, how worried would you, would you be if he does get ruled out for this Jags game? 
Uh, I'd be thrilled if he got ruled out for the Jags game. Honestly, I think he can he can sit and, and take a rest for this one. Um, I, I might even sit him against the 49ers. Like, we, 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 if if the Ravens are going to go deep in the playoffs, which let's let's be honest, they're they're in the playoffs now. Something catastrophic would have to happen for them not to not to be in the in the playoffs. If the Ravens want to get, if the Ravens get to where they want to be, they're going to need Kyle Hamilton in bigger games. I get. They want the one seed. I get they want to keep winning. But to win a Super Bowl, you're going to need Kyle Hamilton on the field. So if he misses a week, he misses two weeks, I'm, I'm okay. They can work around that. Well, he has been practicing from from what I gather. So um, that's positive. But as you say, they might decide to uh, be conservative and rest him. And so while those two guys are um, injured, uh, the Ravens activated Pepe Williams, who has come back from injured reserve after picking up an injury it was either was it right at the beginning of the season or was it late in uh, late in preseason it was a while ago anyway he's been out for a while and then they brought in um, Malik Cunningham from the Pats practice squad he's a quarterback who was at Louisville he overlapped with um, Lamar for a year uh, and then I think James he, he had a fairly good career at Louisville didn't he as a QB not bad not, yeah, not Lamar standard but you know well, actually, he did have Lamar's standard, I think, because I think he beat Lamar's. I mean, he played, I think he played more, well, he definitely did play more games and years than Lamar, but he did beat Lamar's touchdown record at Louisville, I believe. Um, so he was a very good college college quarterback. I, just before the show, I went back and looked at my notes from scouting him last year. Um, he, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. Like, I think this is obviously a longer term play. He's a guy who has some questionable mechanic throwing mechanics that the Ravens are going to have to fix before he becomes um, a factor. But he he went to Louisville because of because of Lamar. Like he, I think he was offered, I think he was offered from a couple of big schools to play safety coming out of high school. But he really wanted to play QB and was inspired by Lamar, which is the reason he went to Louisville. Um, so it's kind of cool for them to to be reunited. The, the thing I would say with him is he's, a, he's an instinctive runner like Lamar. Um, the way he's able to sort of create, he's not the, he's not kind of as lightning fast, but it's his, it's his instincts and his, his change of direction ability that are really special. Um, and if the Ravens can fix his throwing mechanics, they'll have a, they'll have a pretty good backup, I would imagine. Um, but at the moment, I'm not really sure. I think it's, a, like I said, it's a long-term play, and I think they probably want to get him in the building, get T. Martin working with him, and, and have him, and probably get him in an off-season working with with a specialist, um, and get him back next season as a potential uh, backup for next year uh, on a on a much cheaper contract than the Ravens would have to pay for for one of the other guys um, to come back. So it'd be a really good move if that did work out. Um, I still think he's a decent way away from being a um an nfl starter um even from even at a backup level uh coming in and playing some games in a pinch but um yeah it's a feels like a savvy move to to pick him up and um and stash him for next year he's already been dubbed little lamar hasn't he by the uh by the uk ravens uh i think you're exactly right it is it's a future move he's a he's a guy that's going to be back up next year um you, you're not going to pay huntley whatever it is, Lamar's contract's going to kick in. There's an awful lot of guys that need paying. You, you need a backup who's as cheap as can, can be. And and he that's what he's going to be. It wouldn't surprise me if you see him take a few snaps and, and run the ball. Um, he's done that for the Patriots. And as James says, he's very slippery. And 
we don't want to see Lamar taking those hits. Um, but there's there's no reason why you, you you couldn't draw a couple of plays up for for Cunningham every week. Taylor Huntley hasn't practiced today, so this is like a really weird thing that's going with the Ravens in this injury report because. We we just it feels like I don't know if it's just us as Ravens fans or if this is just the NFL in general. But it feels like we just know nothing about what's going on with any of these players. Shane, as you say, Kyle Hamilton has gone from day to day, uh, sorry, week to week to day to day. Which what does that even mean? He might never play again, as we as we know. Uh, they've just thrown Duvernay on the IR without really telling us much. And then I mean, it's on the Ravens website that um, Tyler Huntley isn't didn't practice. But they just said, well, the injury report will come out later, so we'll see what happens. Like, he might have been hit by a car. Like, like <laughs> what is going on here? So, is this, a, this this feels like almost a move if, I don't know, has, has Tyler Huntley taken some sort of, like, leg injury that's that's going to keep him out for the rest of the year, which is it's an odd move for them to bring somebody in this late in the year. They do seem to have moved a little bit more in that direction of kind of stocking up on people for the following year under DaCosta. Um, there's been the old guy here and there picked up, but, but like you say, the fact that, uh, we've now got, um, Tyler Huntley going AWOL, uh, it's possible that he's just protesting that they brought in another quarterback. Um, but if he is injured and they didn't know that was coming, then that would maybe make sense as to why they've, uh, why they've stocked up. Um, so the other thing to cover on the news is the playoff position. As, uh, Ian mentioned, it would take a catastrophe for the Ravens not to get into the playoffs now. And in fact, they can clinch as early as this week if they beat the Jags and a combination of Denver, Buffalo, Cleveland and Pittsburgh lose is, is basically where it has to be. Um, it's sort of, I think any two of those is not exactly that. There's nine different scenarios, but because they play the Sunday night game, they will know whether they're playing for uh, to, to clinch playoff position or not by then, because I think all four of those teams are playing on the Sunday afternoon. Um, and the the position for the number one seed, Ian, it's, um, it's sort of getting better with each week, basically. Stuff just keeps, without the Ravens doing anything, stuff just keeps slotting into place. Yeah, I think things just keep falling for them, don't they? I, I went to bed and, and, and woke up expecting a, a Miami Dolphins trouncing of the Titans and and lo and behold some something went wrong um and and the Titans managed to turn that one around and and happy days that's that's another one in in, in the bank for us so um I've, I've seen people who are a little bit upset that we might get the number one seed and we don't want that again and we'll be rusty like what are we if if you can get that number one seed sit yourself at home I, I Take take a week off. The NFL is brutal. Any anything could happen. Bounce of a ball, injury. If you can get the one seed, get get the one seed. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed. Touch the wood. Do do all of it that these teams keep keep stumbling around us, and and we march our way to that number one seed. And I think the fact that you've got to make everybody come to you throughout the playoffs, as much as the um, you know the bye week is welcome. But uh, the fact that the playoffs would have to come through M&T Bank Stadium if you're going to the Super Bowl, I mean, Gaz, that would be a huge, huge selling point for, for the Ravens. Um, it would be, as long as you've not got Joe Flacco coming to town, which this, this, this feels almost like destined to happen at this point. You just, 
I, do you not all just feel like we just you're two, scared two, two, <laughs> just two trains heading towards each other like this is the nfl it's scripted shane you could this might be off fault, shane you called them out earlier on in the year for the script's been too obvious you didn't have joe flacco signs with the browns and comes to baltimore in the divisional round though did you so no, that's true that's a twist that is, that is a twist that is a twist um I, I just think that's happening but yes um m&t bank which i'm not sure if you've discussed already is seeing some renovations in the upcoming year to make it an even better stadium um than what it is and if they start this off season or next se- next season but it looks really good um anyone who's been knows that that Baltimore is a, is a really good atmosphere and actually on the um on the sort of on the round the NFL podcast and general media M&T Bank's getting a bit of a a bit of a boost at the at the moment from people talking about how it's an atmosphere that teams don't want to go to you can hear it coming through on the TV copy um you've also got obviously it's an it's an open stadium it, it's Baltimore in in January it's going to be cold it's going to be windy it's going to be a bit grim you get some of these you get a, a Miami team that's that's maybe going to have to come up there and play in totally different conditions um it feels like we've got a fair home field advantage now am I in am I in the group of people that doesn't doesn't necessarily want to see John Harbaugh come off a buy into divisional round I don't know let, let let's find let's find out together but um you've got to play to win we've got to try and see does I don't think any team has ever thought oh well we're not that good in the buy so what we should do is probably just drop a couple of games and and just make it so the second seed's pretty good for us I guess I'm not sure anyone's ever done that no I don't think so and I think that if you are you're looking at the teams that you might have to face in the championship game you basically want to be at home against any of those and I think that's the play really rather than you know, can we come off the playoff bye and, and be okay? You want to be able to say, like you say, if Miami coming up from Florida to play in Baltimore is a big deal. The Bills, if, if you know, they're starting to roll at the moment, you want them coming down to you rather than you having to go up to them. Uh, and as loads of people have pointed out, Patrick Mahomes has not had to go on the road in the playoff. That's, you know, another big deal so you want to if you're going to get to the super bowl you've got to go through the championship game and it's definitely much better to have it at your place than than theirs i would have thought so we will see but there's quite a few games to be played until then the position they're in at the moment because of the dolphins losing um they can afford to lose one of their games as long as they beat miami so the toughest game on the schedule um is probably against san francisco who are sort of leading in dvoa at the moment um, widely considered to be uh, the best team over the last however many weeks or so they weight the DVOA towards. Um, so you could lose that one. And if you beat Miami and win the others, you're still in the number one seed. So I think it's going about as well as, as you could expect. And I think the uh, the Dolphins have got the Bills this weekend. Is that right? So yeah, there's another... Dolphins, Dolphins, Bills. Yeah, so that's another tough one for them this weekend so we'll see how it all uh, how it all starts to pan out so before we go on to talk about what's coming up for the um ravens next weekend and uh, how they're going to face that game uh it's time for uh well more of me unfortunately <laughs> a rich history so it's not really a history corner this week it's more like a future corner 
I've kind of I'm, I'm branching out. Um, the Jags and the Ravens have an intertwined history, as I talked about when we played them last year. Uh, they were division rivals, and they two the two teams still play each other like rivals. And most Ravens fans don't relish a trip to Jacksonville, uh, but the Jags seem to be on the schedule with annoying regularity. Uh, believe it or not, though, from the 2025 season, there's a good chance we won't be visiting the Jags in Jacksonville. So that's uh, at least some sort of bonus. In nearly 30 seasons, the Jags have often failed to win over their relatively small market. Uh, On population size, Jacksonville is the 38th largest metropolitan area in the US with about 1.7 million people. Um, That's not huge, but it's not the smallest NFL market. New Orleans, Buffalo and Green Bay are all smaller. Of course, they're also quite a lot older and therefore more established. Of the metropolitan areas that are bigger than the Jags and don't have a team, some serve as a warning to cities and states that are reluctant to turn over taxpayers' money to jazz up stadiums for billionaires, uh, just like the state of Maryland did this week. You wanted to spend $430 million on schools? It's a good idea, but instead of that, how about a mixologist or two and some exclusive M&T Bank Stadium bars? Um, You know what metropolitan area is bigger than Jacksonville and doesn't have a team? San Diego. Uh, You want to know another one? St. Louis. And what do they have in common? They both used to have teams, but they wouldn't pony up for stadium renovations. And that's worth remembering when considering how long we might have to go to Jacksonville, because Jacksonville Stadium needs renovations. It was built in 1995 and hasn't had significant work done since. The Jags want to put shade over most of the seats because Jacksonville is notoriously sunny. Uh, I went to a game there once at the end of November and came away sunburned. They also need more premium areas because where else are you going to put your mixologists? The problem with that is that the the estimated cost is $2 billion. That's five times the cost of the latest renovations to M&T Bank Stadium. Now, the Jags are planning much bigger renovations than the Ravens, it's true. I imagine it'll be pretty expensive just to disinfect that disgusting swimming pool of theirs, for example. But the sticking point is that they want taxpayers to chip in half. A recent poll found that 6% of Jacksonville residents are in favor of that. If you're not a stats person, I'll tell you that's not a lot. In September, the Jags team president said the real question should be, do you want to keep the NFL in Jacksonville? Nice team you've got here. It would be a shame if anything happened to it. So put that way, 46% of Jacksonville residents said they're in favor now. That's a big increase, but it's still not a majority. Negotiations are going on at the moment, and the Jags want to begin renovations in 2025. The city might gamble that the Jags won't leave, even if they don't get their way but ask the people of San Diego and St. Louis how that works out. So if negotiations fail, where might they go? There's an area Jacksonville has been working for years. Uh, There's almost 14 million people in the London metropolitan area. That's bigger than any metro area in the US, with the exception of New York. If a deal is reached in the coming months, then teams will temporarily visit the Orlando or Daytona Jaguars in 2025 and 2026, But if no deal is reached, then we might well be visiting the London Jaguars at Wembley. And just as I was in the midst of dissing the Jaguars swimming pool, uh, Jake the Jags fan wandered into our studio. How are you, Jake? I'm very well, Shane. How are you? Yes, good, thank you. So let's get your perspective on my completely biased take. What's what's happening with the Jags stadium negotiations and where are they going to be playing in 2025? For everything I've heard, it's it, Shad wants to remain in Jacksonville. There's there's no doubt about that. I think the 
There is some doubt about that. <sighs> yeah, but that's amongst <laughs> outsiders, let's say. There is doubt about okay. that. I mean, I, imagine the uproar that it would cause in the NFL world if he did move a team to London. I Personally, it'd be great for me. It'd be absolutely awesome for me to be able to go to more than one or two games a year. But I just think it would cause too much hassle. And the money that they've spent on the training facilities around Everbank as well is that they've spent millions, if not billions, already developing that area and Jacksonville downtown because the Jags have had a lot to do with the remarketing and the um, remodeling of the downtown area. So from my perspective, I think we'll play in Jacksonville for a very long time. I think you're probably right, though. I think in 2024, 25, if it does start, we'll be somewhere. College Stadium somewhere, like you say, maybe Orlando, maybe Daytona, somewhere else in Florida. There's, there's enough stadiums to choose from. Jake, I've got two questions for you, real quick. Firstly, other than other than the Jags, what what is what is in, is there anything in Jacksonville? Like, is there any other reason to go other than the Jags? And secondly, moving to Orlando wouldn't that like be perfect for you? Wouldn't that make your life easier? Yeah, for sure. And to answer the first question, uh, Jacksonville downtown is pretty cool. There is a beach in Jacksonville, um, and there's a really really big bridge. that leads out of jacksonville on the flip side shane it leads you into jacksonville and you can see the stadium from that very big bridge as well because when i drove over it i thought oh that's pretty cool you can see the stadium from the bridge um but to be honest guys i've not really spent a lot of time in jacksonville other than at the stadium because as you rightfully said i spend most of my holiday time in orlando so yes if they play in orlando in 2024 or 2025 i will definitely be there but the issue with Orlando, I guess, if I mean, this is partly why they haven't got an NFL team, I guess, because they are it's a bigger market than Jacksonville. But there are so many other attractions yeah. in Orlando, obviously. So it's for an NFL team whether they want to compete with Disney World and the uh, various film studio theme parks, and the there's one that involves fish or wildlife or something. Yeah, I think isn't there? there's both. There's, there's theme parks coming out of your ears, basically. I mean, yeah, it's the theme park capital of the world, and it's and it's where it's where dreams come true, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, it's all the dreams apart from uh, where the Jags might end up. We'll wait and see what happens in 2025. Maybe they will also be in Orlando, theme park capital of the world, uh, and at least temporary NFL city. Um, but we've got a couple of seasons to get through before any of that becomes a question. Uh, and more immediately, we've got the Ravens visiting the Jags uh, next weekend. Um, so stuff that we have been hearing about the Jags, because obviously, you know, we watch the Ravens closely. We don't necessarily watch the other teams quite so closely. Um, Trevor Lawrence suffered an injury that should have put him out for weeks, but is somehow still alive and playing. Um, which is kind of worrying. How's he still functioning? Yeah, it's, it's quite... I mean, the guy's a machine. He, he comes back from injuries ridiculously quick. He's, he's one of those guys who's clearly built differently because any normal person, you'd be, you'd be laid up on your couch not being able to move for three or four days. I mean, I've, I am nowhere near an athlete and I've sprained my ankles several times and it, it lays you up. It's really, really difficult to just walk. And when we saw the video of him, walking down the tunnel being absolutely slung over to people and not being able to walk for me that was just oh jesus that's him done for 
a few weeks minimum, three to four weeks, you're thinking, and then you're thinking, God, do we have to watch CJ Bethard on the run up to a what would have been a playoff run? And then within two or three days, he's in full practice with no strap on his ankle and running around, throwing the ball, being Trevor Lawrence. So as as fans, I mean, there was a lot of talk around him at least sitting out that game and just resting him for one game. Let's play, let's play CJ for one game. And if we lose, we lose. If we don't, awesome. But let's just rest Trev. And then the game day decision, you could just see where it was going. You could see that he wanted to play. You could see that Doug wanted him to play. And as soon as it got to, what, 45 minutes before the game, it was announced the starter is going to be Trevor Lawrence. You're like, ah, if anything goes wrong, it could put him out instead of two, three, four weeks. It could put him out for the rest of the season. So there was that sort of him. And we lost anyway. So we might as well have rested him, played CJ. I've got two thoughts on Trevor Lawrence. Um, first one, I've got two, everything's coming in twos from me tonight. I'm not hosting the show, so I've got time to think of things, which is um, is not good for anyone. Um, firstly, go, to go back to Jacksonville, moving to Orlando, uh, that'd be perfect because Trevor Lawrence is perfect for Orlando because he looks like he's fallen out of a Disney cartoon. Yes. Um, so that'd be that that that'd be a great move. Um, and secondly, the fact that he he went off so injured and then played the next week does it show us that Trevor Lawrence is maybe just a bit of a baby? Potentially, or like I said, <laughs> is a machine and it's built different. It's a it's a, so it's Jake, a coin we, flip. It's a, it's a coin flip, Jake. We um, thought we had better things to do than watch Jacksonville versus Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, what what went what went wrong there? What how how did how did Cleveland manage to get the win? Did was it a Jag struggle or was it a um, an invigorated Cleveland Browns team with Joe Flacco at the helm? To be honest, it was. A little bit of the latter, but mainly a Jag struggle. Um, offensively, we just couldn't get anything going. Couldn't get the run game going at all. ETN had a really, really bad day. I mean, he's got a touchdown, but I think his entire yards were about, what, 29 or something like that, I remember reading for the entire game, which for ETN is just, it's just shocking. To say how, as a team, we've... We've been up there with the amount of yards per game, somewhere like just over 92 yards per game on average for the season. So then to have a terrible running game wasn't a help. We had obviously Kirk's out. So we had Parker Washington taking his place in the slot. Parker fumbled the ball. We had Trevor missing receivers. We had receivers dropping passes. The defense just didn't really show up. And then... I mean, for from my perspective, for a defense like ours that's played really, really well overall all season, for them to not get at least four sacks on a 38-year-old Joe Flacco who's been back in the league for about 12 days is ridiculous. So, But yeah, I mean, to be fair to the Browns, they played well. You couldn't knock it. Flacco was on point. His passes looked like absolute rockets. Um and Joku just got open constantly. And I, again, I put that down to our secondary being horrendous and not knowing where they should have been. The middle of the field was always open and that's where he caught the ball most of the time. So yeah, it was a Jag struggle mainly and the Browns didn't look too bad, to be honest. 
And their defense, obviously, the, the Browns' defense is incredibly good, one of the best in, in the NFL. Was it more that you were going up against an incredibly tough defense or was it offensive mistakes or a bit of I bet both, Shane, to be honest, because we kind of overuse. You, you, if you watch any games or just watch Calvin Midley's highlights from this season and even a bit of last season, oh, sorry, yeah, from this season where we, we overuse the sideline overuse the sideline constantly and it's just if Ridley's on the field he's he's on a go route he's down the sideline and the Browns knew that they'd watched tape they knew exactly what was going to happen so he was he was pretty much double covered all the time down there and yeah they were just well drilled they were a really well drilled defense they were a good defense they they got to Trevor what four times I think four sacks on their side of things so you kind of it was a bad performance on our part but you also you can't take anything away from the Browns for playing a good game of football. So where do you see the Jags sitting now? Because it's only a couple of weeks ago that that you were part of that tie at the top for everybody in a tie for the number one seed. It was Ravens, Dolphins, Jags, Chiefs, maybe, all all tied at the top. Um, The Trevor Lawrence injury made that look a little bit less certain and then um, losing the game to the Browns, where do you see the season ending up now? Honestly, it's, it, it's been, to be honest, Shane, it's been up and down since day one of this season because we, we started off okay, then we got really, really good and we had that hot run of five wins in a row, went on the bye, came off the bye and got absolutely hammered by the 49ers. And then it's been just, like, what is it, win-win, loss-loss since then. And it's it's just one of those... It's one of those seasons where you think, oh, everything's going to go right. Mid-season, everything's brilliant. And then when football starts to matter, so the whole every, football matters after Thanksgiving part of the season, it's all, I mean, we're riddled with injuries. And I know that's not an excuse because a lot of teams at this time of year have got a hell of a lot of injuries. But it's tough to see where we're going to go when you've got an O-line that's pretty much a patchwork blanket at the minute. There's, there's no decent starters on that O-line at the minute. So they're struggling to get any lanes for running backs to run through at the minute. They're struggling to protect Trevor, who, again, I mean, he's still wearing a knee brace from his first injury earlier on in the season. Um, and then for him to hurt his ankle as well, it just puts a bit of doubt in your mind. But stranger things have happened. Worst teams have got further in the past. It's the NFL, and anything can happen, and we know that. So, I'm still, I'm still optimistic. I still think we've got a good team. The injuries don't help, but if a few people come back either this week, or at least, or at very latest next week, it could still be a could still be a deep playoff run, but that's yet to be seen. Jake, we're, we're a big momentum podcast, so we, we talk about momentum a lot, and it's interesting that you also sort of touch on that that you you sort of it comes across that you almost felt like you you got hot at the wrong time. You got hot in the middle of the season and that's where you, you, you'd much rather be there now. With with how the season's gone and uh, sort of get, touching on what Shane's just asked, like in your head as a fan, what is, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable as a result now? Are you, are you going to be, Gutted if you don't get to the divisional round? Are you, have you still got sort of sights set on the Super Bowl or actually, if you go out in the wildcard round, but Trevor Lawrence doesn't go down with a, an injury that lingers into next year, are you, are you sort of looking forward to 
sort of you're almost before your time this season and, and the rebuild will come together next year and you'll have a, a better shot at it next year. It's a tough one, that, guys, because from a fan perspective, obviously you want to go to the Super Bowl. You want to, I suppose from a team perspective, you want to do better than you did the last season, which was, what was it, second round of the playoffs last season. So this season, ideally, you'd want to get no, no less than the AFC Championship game. But when you talk about a rebuild, if we get if we get to the second round of the playoffs or if we get to the AFC Championship game and fall flat there, there's not going to be much of a rebuild because there's a lot of people blaming blaming Press Taylor, blaming the defensive coordinator for all the wrong play calls and the wrong coverages and everything like that. If we get to that point, if we get too far in the playoffs, then those guys are going to be retained because you're not going to fire an offensive coordinator who's got you to the playoffs two years in a row. So the rebuild becomes then difficult and then it's all based around players, which we don't have terrible players. They just need to be doing the right things at the right time. So for me, I'd love to see them in the Super Bowl. In a realistic world, I think if we get to the AFC Championship game, that would be incredible. We definitely need to have first and second round playoffs. But again, it's the, the end game is always to win a championship. Can I see it this year? Honestly, no. Do I want it to be this year? Of course I do. But how deep we get and how close we get to that this year is, uh, is, it, is in the ether at the minute. <laughs> So Jags, Ravens in the championship game in Baltimore, it would be feisty. It'd be an interesting one. Um, James, uh, what are your matchups to watch for this weekend? What, what should we be paying attention to on uh, on Sunday night? Or, or in my case, Monday morning? Well, it's the first time I'm doing this with a with a opposition fan in attendance, so we'll see what Jake thinks of what I'm going to say. <laughs> so um, <laughs> maybe you'll agree or disagree. Uh, so there's a few uh, matchups to watch. The, the uh, This is a – so I, I do think um, Devin Lloyd and Foyer Oluokon, who are the two inside linebackers for the Jags, have, have been pretty good against the run this year, this season. So be interested – and they, uh, Oluokon especially is uh, – is, is very athletic. So uh, it'll be good to see whether they can sort of neutralize Keaton Mitchell and that threat in this game. Um, so I think they match up reasonably well um, from a running game perspective. It'll be interesting to, this is another interesting test of Ronnie Stanley as well, going up against Josh Allen, which would normally be a good on good matchup, but obviously were some concerns around Ronnie Stanley. We, we're not necessarily sure that is the case. Josh Allen is having a really good year um, again. Um, so that's a, that's a good one to watch. The the two that I think really interesting to pick out on both sides of the ball, the, the ones to watch. The first one is interesting, uh, we mentioned earlier, about whether Cal Hamilton plays or not. Um, but the the main sort of, I, I, as much as Calvin Ridley has been great this year on his return to football, Evan Ingram does seem to be still the, the where this offense runs, runs through. He's Lawrence's guy, um, or has been in a couple of years since Ingram joined the Jags. And so... Hamilton is a really good neutralizer for a, for an athletic tight end like Evan Ingram. So I think it will be sort of, I'm with Ian in the sense that I kind of just like Hamilton to rest up and get ready for the playoffs. But actually, this is a, this is a really, this would have been a really useful game to have him and um, to try and neutralize Ingram. So if Hamilton does play, that's a really good one to watch. 
Um, and then the other side of the ball, uh, the the sort of best defender on this defense, um, probably outside of Josh Allen, I think is Darius Williams, who is the, the corner that came over from the Rams. Um, I always like to mention Darius Williams because it's a, he's one of the, occasionally you see a rate, uh, it happens quite frequently for us as Ravens fans. The Ravens pick up an undrafted free agent who they can't keep on the, on the practice squad and they lose him. Uh, sort of midway through the start of the seat, the start of their first season in the league, uh, and they turn into a good player. And, and Darius Williams is one of those guys. The Ravens got him as an undrafted free agent, um, and then he went to the Rams and made a bit of a name for himself and got some money from the Jags. And he's playing at a good level this year as well. So it'd be good to see him go up against probably Zay Flowers most of the time um, with the style of play that Darius Williams Williams has. Uh, so yeah, it'll be those are the matchups on on different sides of the ball. I think to watch this week. Great. Thanks, James. So uh, it is time then to predict the scores for the game and uh, offer a player prop for what you think might happen. Uh, Jake, you're the guest, so I'm going to come to you first for your score and a player prop. What have you got for Sunday? Okay, I'm going to go player props first. Um, I think that in this game, both Trevor Lawrence and Lamar Jackson will rush for a touchdown each, at least one touchdown each in this game. Now, the last time I was on this podcast, we mentioned the game history between the Ravens and the Jacks. So I'm only going by the past 10 games because it's where the trend starts. So we've taken it in turns for the past 10 games to win a game. This time around, it's your guys' turn to win in that trend. So, but that being said, I feel inclined to speaking to existence the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to break that trend and win this game under the bright lights of Sunday Night Football at home in Everbank Stadium. And we're going to take it 22 to 20. That's that's right. Okay, so uh, Gaz, you you normally go last because you're hosting, so I'll come to you next. You can go a little bit higher up the list for a change. Cool. Well, mine and Jake's uh, predictions are slightly similar in how we've um, built them. So I had on my list, Lamar hasn't had a rush touchdown since week seven. That changes with a chunk play this week that finishes in the end zone. Um, My score, I'm going to go 31-30 in a close game. To the Ravens, um, I don't trust this team to um, to, yeah, to to blow anybody out at the moment. I'm still struggling um, to believe that we're going to do it. Um, one thing I would say is, with what Jake said, is right. It's been 20 years since that theme started. So it was the 2nd of November 2003 that this um, streak of alternating wins um, started. Now... We talked about the playoffs and the Jags in the playoffs. Now, if this streak was to continue and Jacksonville came to MT Bank Stadium in the playoffs, the streak would, in essence, if the streak carries on, that would be a loss for the Ravens. We're talking about the streaky and stop shaking your head. Um, <laughs> so I, I'll say that the Ravens are going to win this one to keep the streak going for the 20-year anniversary. And then if we do see each other in the playoffs, that's when it will get broke with another Baltimore win. That seems yeah. fair. 
Yes. We'll stick with the streak for one more game, and then it's off. Yeah. That's it. We're done. It's the 20, okay, year, 20, it's 20 year anniversary. You can't break it on the 20 year anniversary. That's true. It's a fair point. Ian, over to you. Yeah, I'm with Gaz. I, I was I was nodding my head, Gaz, not not shaking it. Uh, everything's in the Ravens' favour for this one, Jake. I'm sorry, it's our turn to win. We all know that the the Ravens have won their last four on Sunday Night Football. Um, I, I I've got to pick the Ravens to win. I actually think the the Jags need this game more than the Ravens. I think this is a this is a big game for the Jags. I think they're they're getting a little bit desperate. Although it looks like the Texans QB might might be out, so they might they might catch a break this week. Um, I'm going to go the Ravens 34, Jags 27. And for my player prop, I'm going to go both Evan Ingram and Isaiah Likely go over 100 yards in this game. Nice. Okay. Uh, James, let's come to you. Yeah, so I, um, I'm a little bit worried about this game. Uh, so I, I'm actually going to go for a Jags win this week. Uh, a 24, uh, sorry, a 23-20 win. Um, uh, if we want to play a prop, I think uh, Odell Beckham goes over 100 yards from a Ravens perspective. But I do think the 23-20 comes with a Trevor Lawrence dagger uh, as time expires into the end zone uh, with a touchdown to win the game. Um, and I also, but I also think that will then precede the Ravens uh, going and winning in San Francisco on Christmas Day to kind of restore our faith in this team. Uh, so that's that's where I'm going. Well, if you could just pre- predict one game at a time. This is a weekly <laughs> podcast. We don't need next week's prediction for how they're going to do. Everybody just strike that from the record. Everybody <laughs> pretend that you didn't hear that. You have to come back next week to find out what James thinks is going to happen in San Francisco. Um, so I don't know what to make of this team from one week to the next. I have no idea what's going on. Um, that two-minute drive at the end of this game against the Rams I had no faith that they were going to score a touchdown. In fact, I'll let you into a secret. I had already written the tweet that said that they failed to score. Oh. And I had to delete it and change it Wednesday flowers. Never the optimist, eh? Um, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I just don't I don't trust this offense. And also, Ravens games in Jacksonville are often weird. But it's the streak. I'm going to go with the streak. So I'm going to say a 22-19 Ravens win. I have no idea how you end up with 22 and 19. There's going to be some odd scoring is what I expect to happen. Uh, And I am going to say a Pat Ricard touchdown somewhere along the line is my player prop. So uh, there you go. What did I say? I was just thinking while we were going through the player props, didn't I do an OBJ prop last week? What did I say he was going to do? Did I say 100 yards and a TD? Let's go with yes. And he we all, it. He we all, we all n- remember it like it was yesterday, Shane. He got 97 in a TD, so I was close. But it's probably the closest I've come with a prop. Um, anyway, Jake, thank you for joining us and giving us the Jacksonville perspective. Um, good luck with the bit of the season that follows Sunday night, um, at least until the championship game or whenever it is we end up facing the Jags in the playoffs. Um, and that is it for another UK Ravens podcast. We will be back next week reviewing a win over the Jaguars and looking forward to a Christmas game against the 49ers. If you'd like to be involved with the show, please email us at hello at ukravens.org. Don't message to say that it's not a choice between schools and luxury bars at the stadium. I know politics is complicated. I just think the word mixologist is funny. Until next time, let's go Ravens. Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. 
This podcast is created, hosted and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com. Either one of you can jump in and answer that. It's fine. Same thing. You're behind for me, so I'm. I don't. I don't know when you've finished talking. Sorry, it's my fault. I should be gone. I should. Have, I've written it down. Though. I'll cut this out. Well, you say it'll be cut out. Yeah, that's true. Fucking <laughs> hell. Hurry back, guys. <laughs> <laughs>